Shalom, friends. Let's ask our Heavenly Father to be here. Almighty One of the Heavens, Yahweh, our Almighty Father, we invite you and Yahshua to be here among us, encouraging us, admonishing us, edifying us. Thank you so much um, for this chance to gather. So many are suffering loss of freedoms. Please prosper my efforts to impart your words to the saints. And comfort the afflicted. Let your name be exalted and your glory be seen here today. In Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Oh, I can't resist getting some personal things out of the way here and there. First, I heard we had some viewers from Russia. So, okay, for our friends in Russia. Privet, muit varachi pa pravdu. Hallelujah. Does anybody know what I said? Okay. I just said to them, greetings, we are comrades in the truth. Hallelujah. Uh, let's see what else is cooking. Um, I'm very lifted by the music ministry today. I'm so very grateful. The, the official music ministry and then the special offerings. With young Gabriel, that was terrific. Um, then there was uh, Caitlin there with uh, Joshua and Aiden. Wow. And then Brother Don giving that wall-to-wall sound he does. Oh, just uh, so now I'm in the mood for a good sermon. Brothers and sisters, I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. May all the grace of Yahshua be yours. Now, my remarks today uh, are entitled, Your Victory, $2 Gas Filters, or something like that. Now, I'm using $2 gas filters as kind of a, a symbol, like a metaphor, for some spiritual realities I will be talking about. A failed gas filter in your car can cause mysterious, intermittent, and frustrating symptoms. You have a check engine light going in and out, rough idle, sometimes the car won't start, all very mysterious. Acceleration problems at low speeds, engine stalling, spark plugs misfiring, engine hesitation. Your car's doing this. And it's all solved with a little bitty gas filter. Now, back when I made this discovery in the late 1980s, the gas filters were only two bucks. I'm sticking to that. Today, they cost maybe five to ten dollars today. And like changing an inexpensive gas filter, there are numerous spiritual principles which bring dramatic results with only a modest degree of effort. And that's called leverage. You see in the image there, a little five-kilogram ball can lift a 100-kilogram ball if you leverage it just right under a fulcrum. Now, for this and many other images, I give you the attribution, the source for the image, uh, down at the bottom of the slide. Now, if you're hearing only the audio outreach, you can't see the images, but that's okay. You don't need to know where they came from because you can't see them, right? But that's leverage. When a tiny amount of effort gives you a dramatic benefit, Now, the spiritual principles I'm going to talk about, they were discovered simultaneously by me and uh, a brother back east in the late 1980s. 
And I don't know who said it on the phone first, but we said something along the lines of, yeah, it's like a $2 gas filter. You see, he had a gas filter get clogged just like I did. In the spiritual principles, well, many of the principles I'm talking about, we both discovered in our own space. Like, wow, this stuff is powerful. High impact, quick payoff. For many of us, this is probably going to be a review of things we've already learned. But, I mean, that's okay to review things you already know. There's a lot of repetition in the Bible. Here's some $2 gas filters we all know about. Everybody knows about apologizing, very powerful. Forgiving, that's extremely powerful. Repenting, that's nuclear power. Simple things, just like Alka-Seltzer. Uh, for those of you in my generation, I put an image there of Speedy Alka-Seltzer in the corner. Remember that slogan, plop, plop, fizz, fizz? Oh, what a relief it is. Rapid relief from indigestion, heartburn, all that stuff. But that's how these things are. And I did change a gas, gas filter once, a little, a little bitty thing. Let me back up. I think it's on page one. They come in various sizes. Like, wow, all my problems go away with just so little effort. These things are fast-acting, and they are powerful. So here we go. It's going to go kind of fast. I might inject comment if I think there's room in there. Gas filter, $2 gas filter, number one. Prayer. Prayer. Fast-acting, high-impact, rapid reward. Indications from the Bible are that the normal routine for the holy ones is to pray three times a day. But it never fails. Prayer is the quickest way to find peace, to conquer your worries. This is a universal experience. To carve out time. Say, look, I'm, I'm under your protection. I'm in your will. Sometimes you'll say to him, hey, I've run out of options. Your move. What do I do? In Psalm 55, 17, it says, Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So that's three times a day. Evening, morning, and noon. Now notice it starts with evening. You know, there's people out there who have a hard time understanding that the day begins at sunset. If you have any question, just look there at Psalm 55, verse 17. It surprises me that people are confused about this. What other reason would there be for the psalmist to start with the evening? It's the beginning of a new day. Now, in the time of Daniel, um, the king's advisors resented Daniel's devotional life. So they persuaded the king of Persia to pass a law that said anybody who prays is going to be thrown in the lion's den. And this is how Daniel reacted. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, in other words, this became a law, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his Elohim as he did aforetime. And he's just going to keep right on doing what he's always been doing. And after that, you know, they immediately they caught him, and they had him thrown in the lion's den, and you know how he, he pulled through that. Praying three times a day looks like it's standard for us. But so many times, 
I have put down my tools, stopped what I'm doing, say, I better pray. I better pray about this. A wise sister back east taught me that prayer is always appropriate, and I hope uh, you all embrace that mentality. Rapid impact, rapid reward. The peace is always there within reach. Here's another one, $2 gas filter number two, tame your tongue. I urge people every chance I get to memorize James chapter 3. That's the chapter that speaks about the tongue, controlling the tongue. In James chapter 3 verse 2, Yah promises that we can get anything under control if we can control our tongue. Let's see, did I quote that in the next verse? No, let's see. uh, That's such an important verse. I'm going to flip there in my Bible. James chapter 3 verse 2. We sure don't want to miss this one. Some of you are struggling with sin. Some of you are struggling with besetting sins. Here you're always telling you, you get that tongue under control. You can control everything. James chapter 3 verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Now here's what happens. Get the tongue under control. I don't want you thinking that, okay, now once the tongue's under control, the whole body's under control. That's, that's kind of what it means. But here's what it means in practice. Learning to get your tongue under control means that uh, you will learn the disciplines for controlling anything. And I know for many of you, the boiler back in the, the, the steam back in the boiler room of your heart may be like ready to explode because you want to say this, you want to say that. If you learn to control yourself, those disciplines will give you the insights you need to control anything. I'm going to be calling my brother Mike up here any second. I just saw him got out of his chair. Mike, are you there? Mike, are you there? Could you come on up? Okay. This business of the tongue being a small thing and controlling big things. Uh, James chapter 3 makes this clear. I've asked Brother Mike to help me do a demonstration. I'm going to show you how a small thing can control a big thing. Our Heavenly Father made Brother Mike Martin big and strong. And I like that. Okay, But I'm going to stop him with one finger. Stand right here. I hope this comes through on the camera. Look, he's pushing harder than our practice session. Are you trying to break my finger? Okay. Okay, thanks. One finger has all that power when applied in the right place. Thanks a lot, Mike. Man, he was, that was hard. I really thought my finger was going to snap off. He's, he's a strong guy. But it is possible. Um, on another occasion, when I did this a few years ago with somebody else, uh, if they pushed hard enough, they would start pushing my own body back. But um, in this case, it didn't happen. But one finger can stop a big guy like Brother Mike. That's the power of the tongue, one little thing. Now, in the image here you see in the screen, I have a, a single lion tamer with a single lion. And he's, the lion's on its back. But knowing what I do about this spiritual principle, it's more like this image here. Taming the tongue is more like this image. You have a lion tamer with two lions, a lioness, and two tigers. That's what taming the tongue is really like. But it's a little thing, and if you get that little thing under control, you'll learn how to control everything. 
in your walk. Okay, where does the rapid payoff come from? High impact, rapid payoff. Well, yeah, I think every one of us says something dumb like maybe once or twice a day. There's a saying I picked up that seems appropriate. Something like this. I'm sorry for what I just said. I think I just passed up a great opportunity to keep my mouth shut. Hmm? Have we ever, any of us felt that way? Hmm? But it can be done. And, and the Bible describes it as something you can control. And it just doesn't mean you have to control everything else at first. Just get the tongue under control. Now, taming the tongue is more than just keeping quiet. That would be part one. Those of you who know me well know that I often pray, Father, show me when to speak up and when to shut up. And there's an awful lot of wisdom to be learned there. Make this a lifetime conquest. The benefits are enormous. True mastery comes when the tongue is used to bless, encourage, edify, express love, and, of course, to pray. That ties into the previous $2 gas filter. Tame your tongue. Restrain those negative words. Learn how to say positive things, encouraging things. Here's some scriptures that speak to this. There's so many. Oh, my goodness, there's so many. In Proverbs 12, 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 15, 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You know, the, pre- the first thing I cited, it talked about a negative first and a positive. This one here, it starts with a positive and shows you the negative. Proverbs 18, 21, so many of us know this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I remember my dear sister Lucille Hayes, remember our old elderly friend, she said, words will get you everything. Words will get you everything. Oh, yes. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Out of these four, my favorite verses here, Isaiah 50, verse 4, The sovereign Yahweh hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Sometimes people just need to hear a good word, to be reminded of their value before heaven, to be reminded of their destiny. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. That tells me that Isaiah worked at this. I urge this upon you, too, to tame your tongue. That little bitty thing with so much power, just like my finger there a few minutes ago. That little bitty thing in your mouth with so much power. Man, surely that's a $2 gas filter. $2 gas filter number three, remove evil influences from your life. Our friends from Alcoholics Anonymous, they they came up with a phrase, people, places, and things. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, a lot of hard-earned wisdom in that, to avoid people, places, and things. And if someone is struggling with uh, alcohol addiction, they will tell you that it really comes down to people, places, and things. One of the most pathetic things I saw was a fellow back east who had a terrible uh, crash and burn with uh, alcohol. 
When he got back on his feet, he got a job at a pizza parlor, dishing up pizza and beer. Well, beer was his, his downfall. And sure enough, he took another fall. People, places, and things. Let's talk about people. When you have time, read Psalm 101. It never fails. I show this to people. <laughs> I show Psalm 101 to people in private settings, and they go, wow, that re- that's, that's me. It's talking about me. It's a psalm about relationships. Who are you going to let in your home? Who are you going to let in your space? Who is going to serve you? Who will work with you? Talk about places. I mean, clubs, entertainment, detours. Where do you go for entertainment? Where are you spending your money? Are you throwing your money at entertainment that strengthens the hands of the wicked? Do you really want to strengthen them with your dollars? Let's talk about things. I'm going to give you a target list. Now, there's lots of evil things I could talk about that you should be getting out of your life. Today, I just happen to be talking. I'm going to talk about one subset of that, and that's stuff that operates in the spiritual realm. Because there's lots of testimonies out there of people who've gotten this junk out of their life, out of their home, and they were immediately blessed. So this is a suggested target list, but this list could go on and on and on because there's no end to the evil out there, it seems. Native American spirit guide symbols, pottery and jewelry. New age symbols, books and objects. Symbols, books and objects that represent witchcraft. Good luck charms, symbols, images and statues of other religions. Demonic games. By the way, I played Dungeons and Dra- I repent of playing Dungeons and Dragons in college. I just played a couple times. I said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was just dumb. But it was all in the mind. Um, it was just some dice and people talking about demons and dragons and things. Movies and music. Um, let me just take a moment about movies and music. You know, in the Bible, there are bad things that go on. But, the, but those bad things are slammed with consequences. And it's made very plain. I remember I showed a very funny movie to Javon and some of the guys one night. And I was happy that we had a, had a clean, happy outcome. And then Javon said, wait a minute. Yeah, the guy got his wife back, but he did all kinds of dirty tricks to do it. And I, I wound up destroying the, the disc. I said, that's right. This guy got his wife back, but he did all kinds of conniving things to do it. But anyway, in the Bible, somebody does something wrong, they get clobbered like they're supposed to. Now, Hollywood had a code um, for a while where if somebody committed a crime, they always faced the consequences. There was a code for about three decades, I think the 30s through uh, I think the 50s. And those of you who know me well know that I specialize in old films with, a, with good messages. What about the movies and music in your space? Items from past relationships. Hmm? Uh, how about, okay, if you find things that you get convicted of in your home, you should pray for a blessing after removing accursed objects from your life. Ask Galway to replace all that with with his blessings instead. Now, there are some people, I know two of them, who have a a gift of discernment. They can tell when there's unclean spirits. 
that are otherwise overlooked. I remember I had a fellow like that in my home decades ago. He said, Brother Mike, your home is real clean. Your home's really clean. Anyway, you can ask Golly to open your eyes to things like that. I tell people, you come to my home anytime and look around. You see something there foreign to Yahweh's spirit, let me know, and I'll get rid of it. But there are people who've done that. They've thrown thrown out bad books and things like that, and they're blessed. They feel like a, a load comes off of them. I remember we were cleaning out my dad's things after he passed away, and... He didn't know any better, but he, he liked to collect these designer plates. Sometimes you see them in the magazines. And some of them had Native American artistry. Now, I, I'm a big fan of the Native Americans. I'm a big fan of the um, Cherokee. I'm a big fan of the Meskwaki tribe in Iowa. Remarkable people. But somehow over, over, the, over the years, they've been associated with some kind of spiritism thing. And one of those plates in the storage center from my dad's holdings, it said spirit of the wolf. <laughs> spirit of the wolf. Well, what in the world is that supposed to be? Spirit of the wolf. And there I was with my kid sister, I, and she was shocked. I threw it on the ground immediately and smashed it. I don't want no spirit of the wolf in my home, and I'm certainly not going to give it to my sister. Here, you can have it. I, no, you don't do that. Get that garbage out of there. The only spirit I want is Yahweh's spirit. Anyway, there are some remarkable testimonies out there. People have had dramatic and rapid blessings come to them, relief uh, and such, when they got evil influences out of their lives, people, places, and things. Yeah, we're moving pretty quick. There's only going to be seven of these. Maybe we'll have a quick sermon today. $2 gas filter number four. This is one I'm really wound up about. Respect authority. Respect authority. There we have an image of Yul Brynner as the king of Siam. And those who are acquainted with that story, the king and I know how he, how that uh, tutor in him kind of hit it off. He wasn't such a mean guy after all. Authority figures are not there to hinder our happiness. They are divinely ordained for our protection. What does it take to make this clear? Authority figures are not there to hurt us. They're there to protect us, even if we don't like them. When I discovered this, it was a breakthrough. When you finally come to peace and let Yahweh speak through the authority figures in your life, it's, it's an enormous payoff. It's just an ocean of tranquility. First, I'm going to talk about the downside. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, pushing back on authority, and stubbornness as is the in stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now we're going to be looking at this closer later, but uh, the prophet also told King Shaul in that episode, he said, Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And what happened is King Shaul rejected Yahweh's authority, so his authority was going to be compromised, or was going to be actually undone. We're going to take a close look at this warning. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft is Satan's realm. Willful exposure to this realm 
opens portal for extreme temptations. And there are people out there who wonder, well, why am I visited by temptations that I am having a hard time fighting? The Bible promises I won't be tempted beyond my ability to resist. Why am I facing temptations I can't even put into words? Because they have rebellion in their life. That's amazing. You can run around with a clipboard and ask people, hey, how do you discern Yahweh's will? How do you figure out what his will is? And I get all kinds of answers. Oh, we, we cast leases. We ask for signs. We talk to our friends. I knew one guy back in Illinois. He, he'd pray about something, and he flipped through the Bible, and he'd think that that might be part of the answer. He prayed some more, and he'd flip and get another word, and he would stitch together. I'm not kidding. And he stitched together this stuff, and that was his like his oracle. Very few people will say, oh, I, I seek Yahweh's wisdom by talking to my parents. Very few do that. Now I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm my own man. And a funny thing about your parents is that they are the people on this planet that are dedicated to your welfare. They are in your corner. They're a position, they are in a position to have dramatic positive impact on the quality of your life. Once you figure this out, the power of this, it's a bonanza. It's a bonanza of blessings. When you defer to the authority figures in your life, you get privileges, promotion, opportunity, provision, and clarity of thought. You know, time you spend sneaking around and trying to trick your parents or trying to twist their arm to get them to do what you want. Now your mind's cleared, you know, cleared up to seek Yahweh's will, better blessings, better outcomes. Now, the one that's most important to me, this became important later in my life, is that once I realized Yahweh's blessing me through the boss on the job site, through the ministry, Yahweh's blessing me when my parents were alive, through them. Wisdom, insight, resources. These people got all these things that you want. It puzzles me why anybody would want to, like, avoid that. The idea of reverence became foremost to me because then I, when I realized Yahweh's blessing me through these people. Those of you who are on the job site, whether you're, it doesn't matter whether your boss is some manager over you or your boss is the customer of the day. When they sense that you are dedicated to their goals, to making them happy, and deferring to their wishes... They'll move heaven and earth to promote you. If it's time for job layoffs, they'll fight to keep your job. It, it is a bonanza. If your parents, if you win your parents, I know you kids are busy over there. I know, I know you kids are really, are really preoccupied over there. Could I have your attention for a moment? Hello. Look at, look at hello. Yeah, you too. I'm talking to you too. I, 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 know, I know you're thoroughly absorbed in that little doodad in your hand over there, but it, I'm speaking to you too. If you dedicate yourself to respecting the authority figures in your life, such as your parents, you will have a gushing torrent of blessings in your life. Instead of trying to twist their arm to do what you want, 
creating a scene maybe at the checkout counter at, at, the, at the store, instead of twisting their arm to take you here and do this, you should go to them and say, I wish to do this. What do you think? What do you say? When you win over your parents, you win over their love and their confidence. They will give you things. They'll force blessings upon you. Here, you want the keys to the car? You know? They, they want you to succeed. They want you to be happy. It is, it is a gift from heaven to have people in authority over you. My parents are gone. I wish I had their counsel today. This business of respecting authority, it, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you ask anybody who's in an authority, like at a job site or something, it's so hard to find good help. It's so hard. It's so very hard. And you come along, and you show up on time. Yes, sir. At once, sir. The only time you should push back is if they're asking you to do something illegal, unethical, or immoral. Also, if there's an unexpected consequence. For example, the boss might tell you, I want you to do B before A on this series of tasks. And you say, uh, listen, I tried that the other day, and the cost was double. And it took twice as long. I'll do it the, your way if you want, but I want you to know I did try it that way. And that's not even pushback. That's just advising them. But if you let them set the pace, and pretty soon you're going to find they, they like, love you. <laughs> And I've seen this work so many times. I'm going to quote something from Yahshua himself. Uh, there's, a, there's a story there where Yahshua went to the feast with his parents, and he stayed, um, he stayed behind. When it was time to go home, he stayed behind and uh, was studying scriptures in the temple. And it says after his parents uh, went back to get him, it says that he went back home and he was subjected to his parents. Yes, even Yahshua... Little Yahshua was in subjection to his parents. Because that's where the blessing is. That's where everything go nice. That's why he's qualified as an adult to say the following. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My greatest burdens have come from me rejecting this. I'm going to move on to $2 gas filter number five. This is another big one. Accepting Yah's will. Refusing Yah's will can lead to depression. We have an image here of a king... Shaul having uh, David sing for him with the harp. King Shaul lost his kingship. We read that earlier. And he was unwilling to accept what Yahweh had done. Now, in contrast, let's go into the future. David wanted to build a temple for Yahweh. And it was all good intentions. He said, look, uh, I'm living in a house made of beautiful cedar wood. And Yahweh's in this little tabernacle out back. I'm going to build a temple for Yahweh. And Nathan the prophet was speaking out of his own heart. He wasn't prophesying. He said something to David that a lot of people quote, even though Nathan was dead wrong. He said to David, go do all that's in your heart. Yahweh is with you. 
Well, Yahweh was not with him. And when Nathan went to bed that night, Yahweh tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, you misspoke. You go back and tell David he's not going to build the temple. He's got too much blood on his hands. No, your son Solomon will build a temple. And instead of bucking and rebelling, David had the right attitude. He said, oh, I can't build a temple. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll gather up the materials so my son can do it. And he dedicated himself to gathering all those materials. Instead of arguing with Yahweh, he accepted Yah's will. In contrast, King Shaul was unable to accept Yah's judgment that his kingship would be overturned. And Shaul suffered depression and committed further crimes, jealousy, persecution, murder, and witchcraft. Now, I'm not going to be talking about medical conditions here like I'm some kind of a doctor, but I know with absolute certainty that rejecting Yah's will is one of the causes of depression. And so many times people have made a shipwreck of their lives pushing against Yahweh's will. And they know his will. They know what he's saying. And he's getting their attention with these icky feelings inside. Refusing to accept his will can lead to depression. What are some of the things you're having a hard time accepting from Yahweh? Come on. What are some of the hard things you're having a hard time accepting? Difficult assignments. Sometimes Yahweh gives you a difficult assignment you've got to carry out. Sometimes you have to deal with a grievous loss. Just looking for some tissue here. Sometimes you have to deal with a terrible loss. At some time in everybody's life, they have to pick up the pieces, maybe more than once. They've got to pick up the pieces and start over. Sometimes we have to accept Yahweh's will on missed opportunities. Oh, I could talk about that a lot. Or I thought for sure I should go in a certain direction, and no, that's that's uh, not what he had in mind. I remember there was one job I wanted real bad. I it was a company I wanted to work for really bad, and I, I applied three times, and every occasion, all three occasions, something crazy happened to derail the application. If I told you the stories over lunch, you just uh, you'd, your jaw would be dropped. But Yahweh said no. And you have to roll with these things. Sometimes we have great ideas. We think, oh, man, I got a great idea. And I'm going to do this because I, I think it's a great idea. And Yahweh says no. That's what he said to King David. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 7, the apostle Paul desired to preach in Asia, yet the Holy Spirit prevented him. Twice it said, the Spirit said no. He thought it was a good idea. Yahweh said no. History shows that others preached in Asia besides Paul. Let it go. Just let it go. If you're having a hard time accepting something from Yahweh, try harder. The, the payoff is dramatic once you accept Yah's will. I'll give you an example. I, your speaker, attempted to enhance a song based on Psalm 52. Now, those who know me well know that I like to take Bible songs, then add extra verses 
using the passage that the original song came from. I call those my fatted calves. And I've done this a number of times. I pull in words in the, in the locus of that same passage that the song's based on. You get a nice, richer experience. Well, I once did this with Psalm 52, but I was pulling verses from a faraway place of the Bible. And man, I had a heaviness that I could not put into words. Like, oh, what, where's this evil coming from? I tried praying it away, and that would only last about a minute. I didn't experience any relief until I let it go. I let it go. Some, just, I let it go. Just let it go. And I'm never going to try that again. Um, the verses, the lyrics I was trying to bring in would actually dilute the meaning of the original psalm. But it's just one of those things I'll never try again. I'll still do my fatted cast, but I'm not going to be blending scriptures that don't belong together. But what about you? What, are you, what big plans do you have? You know, this is something actually that would apply especially to those in ministry. Because you might have ideas on what you want to do, and there may be cases where Yahweh says no. In fact, if I'm looking for evidence of Yah's work amongst us, I'd like to know sometimes what things Yahweh told you not to do. Because a lot of people are out there bragging about what they do and what they accomplish. But I'd like to know what Yahweh's telling you not to do, just like he did with the Apostle Paul. The prophet Jonah was another case of depression. He was unwilling to preach to the Gentiles at Nineveh. He fled from Yahweh, and he was languishing in that boat. You might remember the story with the storm and everything. But once he was awakened by the seamen, who were fearful of the storm, he just said to them, throw me overboard. Can you imagine how grief-stricken he was, running from Yahweh, pushing against Yahweh? Just throw me overboard. Now, he finally came to his senses when he was swallowed up by that fish. <laughs> and I'm glad he did. Here's another case of someone failing to accept Yah's will. King Ahab, it's in 1 Kings 21, verse 4. He coveted the vineyard of Naboth. And Ahab, and he went to Naboth and he says, Listen, I like your vineyard. I'd like to either buy it off you or trade it for another piece of property. And Naboth said, I can't give you this land. This is the inheritance of my fathers. So in verse 4, it says as follows, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed. Note this turned away his face and would eat no bread. Can you imagine what perverted values? He's coveting that some other guy's property so bad, Yahweh's law clearly forbids this, and now he won't eat. Accepting Yah's will can trigger immediate relief from some of the heaviest burdens imaginable. There's a saying I picked up in the 80s, I feel better now that I gave up. How about you? Is there something you're supposed to let go of? Just, just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go.
I might think of another story along those lines before I hang up here, but um, we're going to move on to $2 gas filter number six. Forsake covetousness. Now, this builds on the story of Ahab, and I was thinking maybe I should have imported that story here. But there is a principle of accepting Allah's will. In this case, we uh, have this business of having our hearts flare up because somebody else has something we want. In some cases, we want what they have in such a way that they don't have it. And in some cases, we want what they have, but what we really want is something of our own like it. So that would be uh, the evil twins of covetousness, jealousy and envy. These things lead to sorrow, debt, anxiety, temptation, and wasted energy. There are so many scriptures that speak against covetousness. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh for his glorious laws. I don't know of any religion that has an explicit commandment not to covet what is your neighbor's. I don't know of any. If they're out there, there'd be a rarity. That commandment hanging there at the very end of the ten words, that's very profound. Because you see, we can't enforce that. If somebody broke Sabbath here, we could go to them and say, hey, listen, you, you should have put that off till sundown. But if someone's harboring covetousness in their heart, we can't tell. They might blurt it out. They might let something come out of their mouth and we can push back on it. Covetousness is one of those things we have to control inside. Well, it leads to sorrows and it leads to temptations. I'm sickened by some of the things I know about the business world. The greed that operates out there. Mortify, this is in Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Well, here you go again, Satan's realm. This comes right back to that thing about let it go. Let it go. You may be really struggling. I know there's a statistical likelihood somebody in the sound of my voice is struggling with covetousness. Let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. The payoff will be very big. The relief will be very big. (laughs) We're almost done here. (coughs) Yes, even those in ministry must be careful about covetousness. I'm going to read a story from Numbers 11, 26 to 29. A little background historically. Some of us here formerly were associated with a religious organization that proved to be abusive. It turns out that's more common than you realize. And for some of us, it was hard to talk ourselves into being part of a different ministry, a new ministry. Because we we always heard that there was one and only one group on the whole planet, just one little group on the whole planet that had the truth. That's a tip-off right there that there's a problem. And then this story emerged as, as we dialogued and wrote letters and had meetings. Somebody brought up this story. Yahweh had promised to pour out his spirit 
on, um, forgive me, was it 70 elders or 40? 70 or 40? Hmm? 70 elders, thank you, thank you. And they were supposed to show up at the tabernacle, and these 70 elders were going to, uh, Yahweh was going to take some of the spirit off of them, and, of Moses, and give it to these 70 elders to help him out. Well, two guys didn't show up. But they still got the spirit of Yahweh upon them. There remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad and the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but were not out unto the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp. So even though they didn't show up at the tabernacle, they still got the blessing, and they started prophesying. And there ran a young man and told Moses. And he said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My master Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Enviest thou for my sake? Would Elohim that all Yahweh's people were prophets, and that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them? Well, I can sure agree with that sentiment. Now, this is one of these cases where this is a real precious moment. Because Moses is talking like Yahshua. Yahshua talks like this. He talks in a way that challenges you. I'm going to emphasize that word. Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Um, I don't think Joshua was saying this out of envy for Moses. I think Joshua was saying this more of a, of a group thing. Like, well, this is our group, you know, uh, what are they doing? They, they didn't show up and, and all that. And Moses changes the subject a little. He says, are you envious for my sake? Uh, and then he says, Elohim would, that, uh, would Elohim that all Yahweh's people were prophets. Envious thou for my sake. Uh, that, that would kind of cause Joshua to check his motives. But if you're in ministry serving Yahweh furiously, often working in the shadows, wondering if your work's doing any good, don't you doubt one minute. The work you do in the shadows, behind the scenes, is having a tremendous impact on individuals around the world. And you might look over the horizon and see somebody who seems to be accomplishing more or seems to be doing something you can't get around to. Don't be envious of that. Um, I'm going to now t- turn the gas filter, a $2 gas filter, number seven. First Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of Yahweh and the Messiah, Yahshua, concerning you. $2 gas filter, number seven, is to embrace thankfulness. There's an old song Maybe we'll sing it someday. I know Brother Randy sometimes imports those old classics. Count your many blessings, see what Yah has done. And what a great reminder that is. The habit of thankfulness dissolves covetousness, jealousy, and envy. All that junk goes away. If you've been paying attention, you probably notice that a lot of these topics overlap each other, don't they? When you develop a spirit of thankfulness, it'll increase your alertness to blessings in hand, and it'll open your eyes to new opportunities. Thankfulness will enhance your reverence for Yah's work all around you. Even a harsh word will be a conduit for blessing. This is kind of hard to believe. 
But when you develop a sufficient level of thankfulness, remember Daniel's prayers? He prayed three times a day, and it said he gave thanks. Even a harsh word will be a conduit for blessing. Now, this is, a, um, this is like a spiritual secret I picked up. Now, this image here is from, um, it's a painting of the uh, pilgrims doing Thanksgiving. And if you look closely enough at the image, you'll see the, uh, the Indians are there too. The Native Americans are in the background. A lot of people don't know how much they suffered to get to that point. They suffered a lot. And they did lose some lives, but they're still thankful for what they had. Here's the thing about the harsh word. I want you to, I beg you to try to follow this. It's in Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. I have learned, I would love for you all to, to, to benefit from this. When Yahweh wants to reprove me, I would prefer he sends a friend to gently remind me. But sometimes he sends me somebody who's mean and harsh. Sometimes that happens. And I take that to be his exclamation point. Like, this is big. If you can find that serenity to be thankful, even for a harsh word you don't deserve, take it as Yahweh's exclamation point. Hey, this is big. This is big. Pay attention. So many times Yahweh has sent me a harsh word. Man, was it painful. I said, okay, Yahweh's talking to me big time. He's communicating to me. This is so important. He's sending somebody rude, loud, high-headed, and impolite to bring it to my attention. Well, the offer's still open to the rest of you. If any of you see me out of order, come to me. Let me know. May Yahweh give us the grace to work it out. I don't want to lose my salvation because I overlooked a rebuke that I needed. I'll even give thanks for that. Okay, I'm going to give a summary here of uh, your $2 gas filters. Yeah, I know it's 5 to $10 now, but you know the, the investment in some of these is so easy. It's just so easy. Summary, number one is prayer. You carve out time. That's where the word devotion comes from, by the way. You devote the time, you carve out time and say, okay, I'm, nothing else matters. Number two is a tame the tongue. There's immediate impact when you restrain yourself from saying wrong things. And of course, over time, when you develop the ability to encourage others and refine it, commit yourself to a lifetime of that. Uh, that's uh, just wonderful, extremely powerful. Removing evil influences from your life. Immediate positive effects. Respecting authority. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, if, if the people with authority in your life, when they discover that you're on their side, just amazing things happen. Winning over the confidence of your parents. I remember when I was a kid, I figured this out as a kid. In fact, I wrote an article that was, uh, that was pretty well celebrated. It was called How to Wrap Your Parents Around Your Finger. Hey, kids, would you like to know how to control your parents? 
You get them under control, do what they say, and then do a little extra. They'll give you anything. You do what they say and do a little extra. Oh, my goodness. They, they, they will they'll do everything they can for you. If they say no, there'll be a good reason. I, I figured this out when I was a kid, and I had, this is now in the 1960s, I had a phone in my room, a telephone line in my room, and um, a lot of other privileges. And I remember my cousins complaining to my aunt. They said, Cousin Mike's got a telephone in his room. He gets to stay out late. Why can't we do that? And then Sylvia said, if you, if you obeyed me like, like Cousin Mike does, you know, you wouldn't have all these problems. But anyway, uh, winning over the authority figures in your life, what a big payoff that is. Accepting God's will as a, as a pathway to um, relieve depression. Because you can get downcast if you can't have something you want real bad. And Yahweh's already spoken. I do want to say a few more words about accepting Yah's will. I know that there's this component in our prayers where we're trying to talk Yahweh into something. We see in the scriptures this has happened, but it's happened in our own lives. And so there is this question of when am I rebelling by continuing to pray against Yahweh's will? And I'd like to tell you how I handle that. Every one of us has to work out our own salvation. What I found is that if I have the spirit of supplication and the words come out of my mouth without, uh, any, without any torment, without any barriers, then I say, okay, I'm headed in the right direction. But there are times I've prayed against his will, and it just feels like a ton of bricks coming down on me. And so I'd like you to think about that. Paul prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to leave. I don't know if that means three individual prayers or three seasons of prayer. I don't know. But he gave up at that point. Yahshua prayed three times that the cup passed from him. Then he said, not in my will but yours be done. So, uh, I want to show some sensitivity to the fact that when we pray, there is an implicit, there's an implicit reality that we're asking him to change his will. But once you know what his will is, let it go. Just roll with it. Forsake covetousness, which what I don't that'll free that'll free up a lot of money, time, and energy. And finally dedicate yourself to thankfulness. Okay, that concludes my remarks. Um, I thank you for your kind attention. Of course we can always continue this conversation uh, afterwards. Hallelujah. <laughs>